Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 26 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is where we like to talk pitching every single show, every single week. We do it with the five-time World Series champ and the Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the master of stats and information, James Smythe, and myself. And guys, this is the last full week before the start of the regular season here. It's a very exciting time. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Ready to go. We're gearing. I think we're gearing up. We, we bought an extra week because of the lockout here. I mean, we're supposed to start, you know, uh, you know, at the end of March, really. It was opening night. I, I kind of like this. I, you know, I, I like the season starting. It's already April is well on the way. Get the first week out of the way. I know we, we need a little more time for New York for the weather to warm up I, from what I hear. So, you know, certainly I hope that helps. Yeah, from what you hear, not from what you're living in, like James <laughs> right. and I. Exactly. I'll be back in a week. Hopefully it'll be back in the fifties or sixties by then. <laughs> and season fast approaching it, you know, I know we need the pitchers to get stretched out, but spring training. Yeah. It's a great time of year and renewal and everyone gets excited for the season. But once you get a couple games under your belt, you're just, you're just itching to get the real games going. Yeah. James worked uh, one Yankees exhibition game. He said after the first few innings of getting his, his feet under him, he's ready to roll. He, in his department, he's good to go. He got warmed up and that's all that's needed for him. Let's go. Uh, big, big news here off the top, though, guys. And if you haven't heard the news coming from last week, John Boy Media has joined forces with the Yes Network, uh, the Yankees regional sports network. And we're going to create exclusive content with the TV home of the Yankees. And it's a big, 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 big congratulations go out to Jimmy and Jake for all the work that they have put in and done making this company into what it is. So talking Yanks is going to be on. Yes. Other John boy content is going to be on. Yes. And towing the slab pitching with David Cohn is going to be on the yes network, the linear TV channel and the yes app as well. So David, your worlds are colliding here, man. And you're going to be doing some more content with this partnership, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Content is king, you know, and then the yes, uh, yes network has their own uh, their own app now, so they need they need to put something on there. So yes, I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, if you think about you know uh, Jimmy and Jake and John Boy Media and where they started and where they're headed, you know, it's it's a I don't know, to say a meteoric rise is probably an understatement at this point. I mean, they're the envy of the, of the league. Players know who they are. You guys, you guys went out to Arizona and you've got some of the best players in the league that are knocking on your door. It's like the Oscar party, right? John boy, Oscar party. Everybody wants to go to it. Everybody wants a ticket to the John boy party nowadays. So it's well-deserved. Uh, they work, they work hard. They have original content. They have a great following. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of it and I'm happy to see their success. And certainly for a couple of kids that were Yankee fans growing up to be a part of the yes network. It's gotta, gotta be, uh, gotta feel really good for them. And, and as I said, it's well-deserved, well-earned. When they've fully taken over the entire media landscape, I think this is probably one of the big pinch me moments that they're going to look back on on their ride to the top. Like you mentioned, big Yankee fans. I I discovered them searching my podcast app back in like 2018, just needing something to listen to at the gym. And I started listening to Talking Yanks and Jimmy and Jake. And that's how I was introduced to them to see them where they are now less than four years later, it is, is remarkable. And uh, yeah, big congratulations to them coming here on the, uh, on the yes network and the yes app. It's going to be really fun 
And we're going to have a lot of fun coming up this season in 2022. We have a lot to get to this week here on our episode, including our chat with Detroit Tigers pitcher, Casey Mize, big fastball, great splitter. David's a big fan of his split fastball. He's coming off a quality 2021 season. Big things may be around the corner for Casey Mize, David. Yeah, you know, he, he's he's a very thoughtful guy and a very accountable guy. He wants to be great. Uh, he gives a he gives a great interview in, in our podcast and, and very candid as well about the things he needs to work on, the things he needs to get better at. And certainly I think he's evolving in terms of his repertoire, uh, trying to be a, a four seam, two seam fastball pitcher. It hasn't really worked out for him. He knows he needs to master one. So he's going to probably go with more four seamers and, and identify the, the, the type of spin he needs to get on that four seamer. You know, the problem I had that we talked about is that when you feature both types of grips right out of the bullpen, you're warming up before the game. I grip a two seam, I grip a four seam. They tend to blend into each other to where neither one ends up very good. They both are kind of like uh, copying each other. You don't get the true riding action on the four seamer. It kind of leaks and the two seamer kind of stays on plane, which you need more sinkage, more vertical movement downwards for that. So that's the problem with throwing equal grips or, or featuring sort of a 50, 50 distribution on two different grips. You need to master one. And then he needs that curveball to go a little bit better. So a little less two-seam fastballs, a little slower curveball in there to give him separation and speeds. He's identified what he needs to do. And that that's one of the things where technology is really helping. Uh, you know, the, I talked to Matt Blake earlier, the pitching coach for the Yankees, who told me, you know what, all the, all the information we have nowadays gives us sort of a, you know, a spreadsheet on what the best version of you is. And here it is. And we're going to hold you accountable to that. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you look like when you're going well and when you're pitching the way you need to be pitching. And this is, uh, this is when you stray. This is when you get off and, and the numbers don't lie. So it's not about, you know, me telling you what I think you need to do. This, we're showing you what the best version of yourself is and we're going to hold you accountable to that. And I think Casey Mize is very accountable in that regard. He's, he's going to make some big strides this year. Former top overall pick by the Tigers in 2018 coming out of Auburn University. He's an Alabama native. I think he is about to turn a corner here. He made 30 starts in 2021, and there's a lot of evidence there that suggests he could come out of his shell here in 2022 and take a very big step forward. James, what are some of the numbers saying from that 2021 season that could lend us to believe that Casey is on the rise here? Well, he had an impressive 2021 season to begin with, 30 starts, like you mentioned, a 371 ERA in 150 and a third innings. So 371 ERA, 150 and a third. Only 10 American League pitchers pitched more innings and had a lower ERA. So he was in good company there. And he mixed his pitches well. He showed flashes with, with the splitter, with the slider. Slider was getting down in the zone more often. He was getting more called strikes with it. He was getting more ground balls. So there's a, a really good base there for him to build on. And this is a season where he can really take the leap, which could mirror an improving Tigers team in general. So I think it'll be a good year for Casey Mize. It's a great point. You know, they go yeah. hand in hand, right? If you get run support, you get defensive support. You know, the one hand washes the other, so to speak. So, yeah, that, that's how you get better. That's how you get better as a pitcher. Is you have better support behind you as well. Yeah, they can. Their seasons could kind of be carbon copies there. The, the Tigers may taste as much success as Casey Mize does in, in 2022. And I think he's a pitcher that 
doesn't have a lot of wiggle room here. Number one overall pick for a team that falls into that category of completely tearing it down, rebuilding from the ground floor, and being that top pick, he's expected to be the ace kind of and and lead the Tigers back to title contention. And anything other than that may be kind of looked at as a failure. That's part of the game here. Casey's situation's not anything new. He's not the first. He's not going to be the last in that scenario. And, um, you know, how he deals with it is going to be what you want to watch for here moving forward. But he seems poised, and he talks about that as well. So very interesting interview with Casey Mize coming up here. Before we get to that, want to touch on the opener, as we do each and every episode here. And, David, as spring training is evolving, and, I mean, there's three weeks of it, so it's zipping by here, but we are learning more and more about the pitch comp technology that teams are using. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago here on the pod, but at the time it was like the Rays and maybe one or two other teams experimenting with it right out of the gate in spring training. Now the games are going on. We're seeing more reports of other teams using it. We're getting kind of mixed reviews here from pitchers and catchers. What stands out to you after a few weeks of learning more about the technology? Well, it, to me, it, what, what stands out is, the players and the pitchers and the catchers getting more comfortable with the technology and understanding it. And then secondly, it's sort of a collective effort to, for the pace of the game to get sped up a little bit. So when you start combining some of these rules that are potentially going to be changed, not this year, but in in the not too distant future, probably at, at a minimum next year, that if you have a pitch clock combined with the pitch com, that does have the potential to really speed up the pace of play. The pitch clock keeps the batter in the box especially when there's nobody on base and the game always slows down when there's base runners, especially with base runners on second base in today's game, when everybody is paranoid about stealing signals, it's been in the news over the last several years for obvious reasons, the Houston situation, 2017, other organizations uh, wondering, Hey, what's going on? Be careful in this park. Uh, What about that ballpark? Yeah. They they've been known to do something that just breeds a slowness and a paranoia that just immediately bogs down the game. Now, if you've got a pitch clock and you've got the pitch calm, boy, that collectively can really put, you know, pep in your step, so to speak, just a, a Christmas to a crispness to the pace of the play that to me really can make an impact, you know? And yeah, you know, at first I was a little leery about it all, you know, pitch clocks, wait a minute here. Uh, we are taught to slow down the game. You know, we haven't even got into the shifts and some of the other rules, but just for the purposes of play of game pace of pace of play, rather, uh, that those two combined, a pitch clock with the pitch com, yeah, I, I'm starting to believe could really make a difference. I'm pleasantly surprised at the, I don't want to say full buy-in, but even veteran pitchers and veteran catchers are kind of on board with it. They're, it's an experiment for them too, and they seem to be okay with it. If it was unfamiliar, the pitch com is a, a technology that's allowing catchers to electronically send signs to the pitchers through a wristband. So you punch in a code and the pitch selection will be transmitted into a, an audio piece that the pitcher is wearing in, in their cap. And I think as many as four infielders or four fielders behind the pitcher will have the same information. So everyone's going to be on the same page there. And David, you mentioned the pitch clock. You mentioned it's designed to speed up pitching tempo, prevent sign ceiling from second base. Just from the surface, if you had a guess here, 
where do you think it'd be more effective? The sign stealing, the prevention of sign stealing, I should say, or improving the pitcher's tempo? Tempo. Absolutely okay. tempo. Um, sign stealing is somewhat overrated. And Paul O'Neill will tell you that some hitters don't want it. It messes them up. You know, if they if you've got a runner on second base that has suddenly broken the code of the signal calling from the catcher, and he's got some sort of signal where the, he starts waving, he starts moving back and forth, or you know, puts one right hand on his shoulder for a, you know a fastball away, and one his left hand on his hip for a curveball. You know, that's that's got to be uh, that process of delivering the stolen signal can be distracting for hitters. So in some regards, it can be, it can be overrated. Only veteran hitters or hitters that are or base runners and hitters that are really in sync with each other can make that sort of system work. Now we're not talking about banging on the trash can a la Houston back in 2017. That was a whole different scenario where technology was used in a different way. I'm talking about the old school gamesmanship where runners on base are actually working hard with their eyes to steal signs that's somewhat's overrated. It's hard to do. Some hitters don't want it. So, but it still slows down the game. You still have to worry about it. And so uh, to me, if you're worried about pace of play, you want that sort of action to get initiated and, uh, and you think that's going to lead to more balls in play, more action, more excitement for the game. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. I mean, the NFL has mics in, in the, in the quarterback's uh, ears. I remember when that first came out, people were like, Hey, wait a minute. Now remember the old way of delivering signs. They're holding up signs from the sideline, all the coaches and this and that. And they had decoy signs over here and the real sign was over here. And that really sped up for the pace of play for quarterbacks to get the signal quicker uh, to get the play quicker rather, and uh, to call a play quicker. So you know, now you don't even think about it. You just see the quarterbacks going like this, holding, holding their ear pat. They, they, they hear, they hear whatever the play call is and, and they move on. So yeah, I, I would imagine it could work in a similar fashion in baseball as well. Guys, I want to tell you about tops bun. It is the official digital trading card of major league baseball. And it is back for the 2022 season. This app was making the rounds at the John boy media, Arizona compound during their spring training trip. The other week, and I'm talking about some big leaguers getting in on the fun. Peter Moylan, Jerry Blevins, Trevor Plouffe, they were all deep into this app. And you remember the days like when you were young, you'd bring your book or binder of cards to school and trade with your friends. I definitely did that as a kid. But now all you need is your phone to collect these cards and you could trade them with literally anyone around the world. You want to take it to another level here? You can take your card collection and set lineups using cards in real-time scoring fantasy contests. So for more info, download the free Tops Bun app by clicking the link in the description or visiting the App Store or Google Play. We're going to touch on more rule changes on the other side of Casey Mize's chat here. Let's get to the interview with the Tigers right-hander. Some of the things that we discussed with Casey, his arsenal, what he's looking to incorporate this season. There's some pitches that he wants to throw more of, some others that he's going to throw less of. Also talked about the moments last year where he kind of started to feel like he was contributing as a big leaguer for the Tigers. And also some advice that he has received from the Rocket, your former teammate, David, Roger Clemens. So without further ado, our guest this week on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, it is Tigers pitcher Casey Mines. Casey, thanks for giving us some time here this week. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Good. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. I know you are in your new home in Florida near the Lakeland complex for the Tigers and you're in your office right now. And 
there are certain plants that had some background noise, I guess you could say. But what right now, as you continue to get settled into your new home, what's the coolest thing you have in your office? Ooh, I got some cool stuff. Uh, so behind me here, you can see that's Miggy's replica uh, lineup for his 500 home run game. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and one thing, my first college win, I had a baseball uh, that. And so that's, that's pretty cool, too, that I can kind of look back on. But I think maybe my favorite thing is um, – my draft card that was announced on draft day that Manfred read aloud is the MOB sent it to me framed and I got it up on my wall. So I think that's pretty cool too. So, uh, but one day I'm going to have an Alan Trammell jersey right behind me right here. And that'll by far be the coolest thing I have because he's my favorite tiger of all time. And, uh, I'm going to get him to sign a jersey for me and put it up right behind me. Nice. That's sweet. What's, what, what is the link there with, with Alan? Had you obviously from the Tigers organization, but w- how strong is that bond? Well, he spends more time in the position players, honestly, you know, working with my fielders. Um, but he's been around since day one, you know, when, when I was drafted. He's, he's a special assistant to our GM, and, you know, he's uh, moving around like he's still a player during spring training and uh, helping us out. So um, it's just seeing just the personality and the man that he is is awesome. You know, obviously a Hall of Famer, but um, just seeing him interact with players who were drafted in, you know, late, late rounds or guys that have been in the big leagues for 15 years, it's the same. So just really respect Alan and, um, you know, I, I definitely, it would be my honor, it would be an honor of mine to have his, uh, his jersey in my office. So, you know, I'm looking forward to adding that every one day. You got Tigers in your blood, right? Was your high school team Tigers too? I mean. Yeah, high school, college, uh, <laughs> now big league. So That's pretty Tiger. cool. <laughs> you got that covered on the mascot side. You know, Casey, we've been a big fan of yours, you know, watching you come up through Auburn and then calling a couple of your games. We got a chance to see you pitch a, a few times. It seemed like you're really starting to, to make some strides last year in terms of your repertoire, your pitch usage, you know, what, what, you know, identifying what are your best pitches and how to get to those. I know that's kind of a, a new school theory about how to identify, you know, uh, what, what your strengths are and get to those pitches more often than not. It seemed like you made a lot of strides with your slider. I'm a big fan of your splitter. I threw a splitter in my career and I know your splitter drops off the table. I loved it. The first time I saw it, it kind of goes straight down when it's right. Looked like your slider came along last year, too, as well. You had a lot of success with that. Yeah, so my first year, uh, 2020, when I got called up, uh, you know, through a bunch of splitters, and I was really happy with it. And, you know, didn't have a great year, honestly, overall. But going into that offseason, I know I want to improve my slider because my slider wasn't very good. I was like, okay, I got the split, you know, got a decent fastball. Like, I need to improve my slider. So spent so much time on the slider that offseason. We come back for season last year, and – Honestly, I couldn't find my split. I spent so much time working on the slider that I, I, I'm not going to say I lost it, but I lost a lot of confidence in it. It wasn't coming out right. So the usage of it was not as, as much as I would have liked. Um, but I, I'm working on that. I'm going to you know, increase the usage of that split. But yeah, the slider definitely took strikes for me. Um, looking to carry that over into this year. It's just I want to have both and not just one at a time. Hey, hey. Yeah, excuse me. Go ahead, uh, um, J- James. Yeah. Just at the between the four seamer, the slider, and the sinker, they've all were thrown between 23 and 29% of the time last year. And the splitter was 13. So that's already a pretty good mix. And you've talked about how you want to throw the splitter more. That's an even greater split between all of the pitches. And it's unusual to have a young, a good young pitcher kind of spread things around like that. Very impressed. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I, I just, I think a lot of good pitchers can be able to throw anything anytime. And so I want to be able to be, uh, unpredictable. Uh, and speaking of the sinker, you're, you're going to see that usage diminish. You know, it's going to be about, a, honestly, a four or 5% clip. Um, 
looking back, it, it can be useful to me to some righties, but lefties hit me for about 330 and slugged almost 600 off of it. So I think that's a pretty good sign to maybe hang that up. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it into some righties, but definitely not going to use it as much. You're going to see the force of usage increase, which is going to lead to some split increases and, and curveball increases uh, as well. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Casey, that was one of the toughest things for me would be to bounce back between a two-seamer and a four-seamer and get feel for both of them, especially to start out a game. As a starting pitcher, it's hard to come out of the bullpen and say, okay, you know, equal usage both. I can paint that two-seamer down the way to righty, and then same thing with a four-seamer, you know, uh, and vice versa. So, yeah, to me, you had to master one. That, that was kind of the hard lesson for me to learn was to master one grip and then use the other as a complementary feature. Like you said, two-seamers into righties more. Because, you know, unless you've got that nasty sink or that vertical movement down, kind of, you know, lefties kind of tend to cover that nowadays. So, you know, I, I see the point right there. Is that is that what you found last year? Lefties covering that two-seamer away on you? 100%. Yeah. I call it a sinker just because it's easier to say, but it's definitely a two-seamer. It stays on plane and just runs. And so right. it, it, it just runs and, uh, you know, that's running right into the barrel, honestly. So I'll, like to, I'll, I'll be able to use that to my advantage against the righties, continue to do that. But what I noticed last year is I threw so much of them that my four seams started to leak into that area as well. They started to blend. And so now I'm throwing yeah. some really, some good riding four seamers because I'm not throwing as many two seamers. And, you know, we, we try to avoid that, but mechanically it's just going to blend a little bit and the ball's going to come out of your hand and start to blend. So definitely try to avoid that. Do you pay attention to the technology and, you know, the spin efficiency and, you know, the, all the tools that are out there for you? I do. I do. I, yeah, I would say I'm pretty inclined to a lot of that stuff. Um, the more I learned, the more discouraged I get because I'm not jumping off the page anywhere analytically, but, um, I try to maximize what I'm good at. And so I think it's definitely been a huge, uh, you know, benefit to me. What technology and data may grab your attention the most when you're looking to further develop a pitch? Yeah. I mean, so when I first got into, you know, college, we, we were using rap soda a ton. Um, and then throughout my agency, after I was drafted, um, we started using Etrotronic cameras, which is a slow, slow motion capture video, um, you know, to, to get some stuff out of the hand when it comes to release points and grips and all of that. But, you know, I, I've kind of blended more um, into mainly just using TrackMan a ton, um, get, get a lot of TrackMan data um, with, with some Etrotronic video uh, when needed. Um, but a lot of my pitch design stuff, you know, comes at the, you know, the hand of TrackMan. During that first full season as a big leaguer, you, you glossed over – some of the things that worked well, some of the things that, you know, you probably want to take away after making those 30 starts, but in between all that and going with the flows of a full grind of a season, was there a moment where something clicked and you felt more comfortable on the mound as a big leaguer? I think so. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's like one moment, but I can remember, you know, we got off to a really rough start in April and I was bad in April this year like man, I, I was struggling so um and then around may 1st or the first of may is that our team started getting better i started pitching better and it, we routed off a good you know for me it was i think nine or ten straight quality starts or something like that like it was just a good month and a half you know it was just a you know i'm i'm being productive i'm providing value and so i think that gave me a ton of you know confidence that was the first time i provided value in the big leagues and it was just a little glimpse of I'm just scratching the surface on what I can do, but at least I'm providing value with what I can do right now. And, you know, I know, I know I can get much better. So I think honestly from May until mid to late June, um, it was, was huge for me. It was just from a confidence standpoint of, you know, I can do this and uh, that this is really something to build off of. 
David, do you remember the first time where you kind of felt similar, where it was that first moment that you said, hey, okay, I belong here. I can do this. You know, it really is. I remember, you know, one of my first big league starts, I gave up like 10 runs, you know, and it just nothing went right. It was a Murphy's Law game. God, I had to stay out there. Our bullpen was wasted. So I had to get five innings in somehow, give up 10 runs. And then my next start, I was throwing some of the same pitches and getting away with it. And, and the light bulb went off in my head that you don't have to be perfect. That sometimes, you know, there's a random variance to this game where, you know, sometimes you throw a good pitch and it gets, you know, it gets blooped in for a hit. And sometimes you hang one and they pop it up and you realize you kind of learn how to roll with the punches and take some of the pressure off of yourself and just pitch your game. Just try to execute the best you can take what comes, let it roll off your, your back a little bit, instead of uh, being anxiety ridden on the mound. I had a, I was prone to kind of get too anxious out there at times. And uh, that's, that's one of the lessons you have to learn for yourself. I'm sure Casey can relate to this in terms of there's, there's certain lessons that pitching coaches can't teach you that you have to learn for yourself on the mound in the heat of the battle. And the only way you do that is just to keep going out there, keep getting reps, keep getting an opportunity to get the ball. And for me, that's probably one of the best lessons I learned was, you know what? I don't have to be perfect out there. You know, I have to be aggressive and attack the strike zone. And if I get burned, I get burned. But if you get burned once, you don't shy away from it. They call it shying away from contact or being afraid of contact a little bit. And, you know, certainly nowadays it's a little different game. There's a lot of, a lot of power in the game nowadays. So your mistakes go a long way, but you know, I'm sure that that, that theory still rings true for a lot of pitchers out there. Yeah. <clears throat> to build on that, I mean, you're exactly right. That's, that's, that's really what kind of my thought process was. Like for me, it was a little bit like, obviously these are some of the best hitters in the world, but at the end of the day, don't give them too much credit. You know, like hitting's really hard. You know, I'm going to fill up the strike zone and more times than not, if you hit the ball, guess what? You're still going to get out, you know? And so for me, it was, it was, don't, don't be afraid of, you know, early contact. Don't try to be too pretty with two strikes. Don't try to be, you know, and uh, just do, and when, in doing that, I was way more efficient. I was getting my team back in the dugout. We were scoring more runs. We were winning more games. I was throwing more innings. Like it was just like, this is just baseball in its simplest form. Just go do this, you know, instead of, you know, giving these guys too much credit. And it's just long games, long innings, tons of pitches, tons of runs. It's just, it, it compounds and it's just not, it's not a quality way to think. Yeah. Just, just trying to attack and get, get a little more of the plate, not be afraid of getting a little bit of the plate, especially early in the counts. And, you know, I, I guess the question I would have Casey is, you know, as you, you start to, you know, uh, evolve as a pitcher and, and learn which pitches to throw and identify your strengths. Have you thought about variance and velocity and maybe probably the slowest pitch you throw is probably that curveball. You thought about mixing that in more like first pitch to lefties or just kind of getting it over for getting some easy strikes that way and showing some, some slower speeds on your pitch, because I, I think your pitches move great. You know, I, the, your splitter, especially, and, and certainly your slider last year, I saw made, made major improvements, but have you thought about like separation a little bit in terms of velocity? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think I threw the curve last year, six or 7% clip. I need to double that, honestly. And I think it needs to be up there with something I can throw 10 or 15 times a game. Um, especially, you know, you mentioned first pitch to lefties. That's something I've done in the past. Uh, just steal a strike, you know, keep him honest. You know, a you know, big power guy up there that's, you know, on heat or whatever. Flip him a lefty. You know, he's thinking about that next time up or whatever. You might not be able to sneak a fastball line early in the count. So you're exactly right. That that's something I need to uh, increase when it comes to usage. And that, that was one of my big points this offseason and where I want to improve. Yeah, just landing it, right? I saw there, we had a picture for the Yankees, uh, El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, who was the master of that, and he would just flip it in there, you know, just, yeah. just get the spin, but he would land it. He would land it in the strike zone, and you'd see lefties shaking their head, 
and they wouldn't see it that next time. You're right. Next thing you know, you you, you zip a fastball by him on the first pitch the next time up. Uh, so, yeah, yeah that, that's how you get three times through the order as a starter, by having that weapon to be able to get a steal, a strike here and there and not worry about, oh, gee, I'm, it's third time through the order. The manager's going to come get me. You know, you got another weapon to work with. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And that's something that I'm definitely going to have to navigate. You know, they kind of monitored my innings last year, so I wasn't able to see the third time a ton. Um, so that's something that's going to be new this year. I'm going to have to navigate, navigate that a little, a little bit um, this year. I was able to do it, you know, early on in the season, but towards the end, you know, I was three or four inning stars, and so I really wasn't able to do that. So that's going to be, you know, another learning point, a learning point for me this year. Well, then what's a realistic inning total for you this year? Can you aim for 200? I am. I'm aiming for 200 is my goal. I love it. I love it. That that's, that's the right attitude, you know, uh, and, and you, you do that by just everything we've just said, you know, being aggressive, going after them in the strike zone, having another weapon, showing them some different speeds. Definitely just the art and the craft of pitching, you know, it's still, uh, to me, it's, it, it's still there to be had, even though we're in an era where velocity's king and I, Hey, believe me, I, I, w- I want to throw hundred miles an hour too. When I played, everybody wants that big fastball, but there's more to it than spin rate. There's more to it than all the analytics, you know, like you said, you know, maybe the numbers don't jump off the page, but collectively your stuff together and the right mix, it plays it definitely plays. And uh, you know, you, you've always been able to do it from, from your amateur days up through college and the career you had at Auburn and then all the, all the way through. And uh, did you ever run into Bo Jackson at Auburn at all? I actually did not. I've been fortunate to meet some pretty awesome people, but not, not Bo. Charles Barkley was around the time. So I got to hang out with him, but nice. not, not Bo yet. I'm looking forward to hopefully meeting. Yeah, I was, I was, I broke in with Bo. We were rookies together with the Royals back in '86. He was remarkable, the best athlete I've ever seen, Casey. I'm telling you, he can, he could really do it all. And he had a crazy arm too. His arm strength was ridiculous. He yeah. just had a rocket yeah. for an arm too. People don't realize that about him. And, yeah, yeah, I've seen some awesome like YouTube videos of him throwing guys out, and it's just like unbelievable. Yeah, no, he was, he was a freak, freakish athlete. You know, one of the people ask me that question, he's, he's it. Bo Jackson, number one. So Dave Winfield was pretty good too, you know, in my era back in the day. But yeah, it must have been fun playing at Auburn. I know it's a great program down there. I know you had a great career there. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. You know, three of the best years of my life. Not, I love it. Um, I miss it. We, we try to pop me on for an iron bowl every year, or every other year. And we, we almost pulled out of them this year, but came up a little short, but that's all right. Yeah. You know, ever since you kind of popped up on the national spotlight, in this sport, people, when they're talking about you as a pitcher, a common phrase that they use often is poise. They talk about your poise. What makes Casey Mize poised on the mound? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we all love to compete. You know, I think, um, and, and it's just being comfortable in that setting. You know, I, I think I'm just comfortable out there. And I, I think I'm comfortable because of my confidence. And I'm not, I'm not confident like a, you know, you can just tell by the way I walk confident. It's just, I'm confident in my work. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of the work I put in, the preparation that I put in. And that leads to tons of confidence for me. Like I've always said, like my confidence doesn't come from my performance. It comes from my preparation. Um, and so I'm just always more confident that I'm better prepared than the opponent. Um, and so that, that leads to just, you know, poise in certain situations that I'm comfortable right now. You know, I'm prepared for this. I'm more prepared than you are. Um, you know, and, and I'm ready to compete and let's see if it comes out on top. All right, let's discuss Tigers spring training here. People think that Detroit is going to take a, a decent step forward this year. They think they did that last year in the first year under 
AJ Hinch's manager. Tigers made quality additions in the offseason, whether it was through trades, free agent signings, the young core that you're a part of, it's being identified here. Is there a different feel or an energy in Tigers camp this year? Yeah, there is. Um, it, it's obvious. And it's something that I've been longing for, you know, ever since I joined this organization. Like, nobody wants to walk into a clubhouse knowing that it doesn't matter if we win or lose this year. You know, we're, we're going for high draft picks or, you know, it's just not a good feeling, right? Like, you, you want to be in, in, a, in an environment that wants to win, and that has the pieces and the ability to win. And so this is kind of the first year where we've really felt like, you know, we can win. We have the pieces. We have the mindset. We have everything that we, everything that we need to, to, you know, get it done. We just have to execute at a high level. Um, and so that's just really exciting. It's just, now it's on us, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're going to have to put in the work and have to execute, stay focused. It's a long season. Um, you know, but from day one, pitch one, going to have to stay focused and, you know, uh, try to, try to strive for our ultimate goal. And, and it's just, it's just an exciting time. You know, we got, you know, Torque and Riley Green coming up, um, you know, the new additions, Javi, Eduardo is going to lead us on the mound. So, um, just awesome new additions, uh, you know, to compliment the guys that we brought back from last year. Uh, it definitely is exciting. You have those new additions. You have Tucker Barnhart as your new battery mate as well. But people feel like if this rebuild's going to go to where the Tigers want it to go, it starts with the young pitching in the rotation. You, you have Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning. You guys are looked at the future in Detroit here, along with, you know, Spencer and Riley in the lineup. How close are the three of you, though, in the rotation, you, Tarek, and Matt? Yeah, we're really close. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we, we've, we've played together for about three years you know, now, um, so it's just a, a relationship that we've, we've built through the minor leagues um, and all the way up to the big leagues. So uh, we, we enjoy hanging out. You know, we, we enjoy um, you know, seeing each other at the field, you know, outside the field. Uh, it's just a really, really good relationship that I think is going to translate to uh, quality success on the field. Like, it's just such a, um, you know, comfortability with one another that we're not afraid to say, hey, you know, you're feeling all right. Like, you look a little off or, you know, hey, man, you're looking great. Or whatever it may be, just conversations, comfortability, I think, can lead to real success on the field. And uh, we definitely have that between three of us. David, is that rare for a young group of pitchers? Because I know you had you and, and some others coming up through the system with the Royals when you were younger, but being able to lean on each other for, for guys who are looked at as being viable major league options, it's not often where it kind of pans out that way. If you have some of those, um, you know, for lack of a better word, the, the, the prediction or so to speak, where, where guys are projected to pan out as big leaguers. If you're all coming up through the system at once, maybe one falters along the way, but to see that progression through and through and to have each other to lean on, how special is that? Yeah. On so many different levels, it really matters. You know, what, what Casey's talking about just from coming up through the minor leagues, you develop that closeness where you're really pulling for each other. You're trying to help each other. Right. I mean, there's always that friendly competition, but yeah, at the same time, you know, you learn from each other and a lot of times it's unspoken. It's just watching, you know, how Casey goes out there. Oh, oh this is how I get out this hitter, this tough hitter, this tough left-handed hitter. He, he went about it this way or this sequence, and you can have a light bulb effect for another pitcher that's pitching tomorrow and the next day. And it's much easier to be a starting pitcher when you get past the baton. You know, Casey Mize had a great game last night. Okay. I'm the continuer. I'm not the stopper. I'm now the continuer. And you get a little, 
get a little something, something going on there. And that's how you build that sort of, uh, you know, camaraderie, that friendly competition, that relationship to where you're helping each other, pulling for each other and pushing each other at the same time. It's a beautiful thing when it comes together. It really does make a difference. It's hard to, it's hard to put a number on that, right? I can't come up with a, an analytic number or a sabermetric number to put on that, but it's, it's something you feel, you know, it's a human part of the job. It's a human element part that you, you definitely feel it in a clubhouse and you feel it in a rotation. Yeah. And then that's definitely what we've had. I mean, it's just definitely pushing each other too. Like it was tough to go out pitch Matt Manning in double A. It really was. Same with Terry Scoogle. He was punching out like 18 for nine in double A or something. It was unbelievable. It was like, like how am I supposed to outdo it? You know, but I got to try, you know, it was just, and then sure enough, we looked back a week later, you know, and we won, you know, we went five and two this week, you know, what a, a winning week, you know, and so that, that's really what it's about. Um, and so, you know, chasing those guys or, you know, pitching before those guys, whatever it is, it, I think it was just good all the way around. Of, like you said, you know, we can see how he got this guy out or, um, you know, now I got to go do better than this guy. So it definitely was tough at times, but it's definitely all positive. Like it's, it's friendly competition. Um, and, 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 you know, so it's something that we're hoping we can continue to do. So you got the good young core of pitchers. And now there's a veteran who's really been an underrated pitcher for a lot of years, Eduardo Rodriguez. And now you're going to be learning at the feet of a guy who's been having a solid big league career for years. What do you plan on taking from Eduardo Rodriguez? The biggest thing is, um, you know, with us being so young and you know, not, not pitched in really high leverage moments, like Eduardo has been there, you know, he, he's pitched in some humongous games. Uh, and it's just the big game experience is probably the biggest thing for me. It's, you know, how, how do I need to prepare for this? Um, you know, I know what I need to do from a physical standpoint and, you know, what I can do mentally, but how do I prepare for the emotional side of you know, pitching in a World Series or an ALCS? Like, how do I prepare for that? Um, and then when it comes to, you know, pitching, I think he's going to help us a lot when we play in the East. You know, I think um, he's going to have tons of, uh, you know, tons of helping points on, you know, how to pitch to uh, the Yankees, the Rays, you know, whoever it may be. Um, and so I, I just, you know, we've had some conversations already, but definitely look forward uh, you know, to dive into more of that, you know, when season gets going, we're sitting around watching games and, you know, we really have time to talk about all that. Because I think he's going to provide immense value, obviously, um, you know, when he's pitching, but, you know, definitely, you know, he's in the dugout, you know, sitting next to us and, um, you know, guiding us where he can. You have Eduardo at the front, you have Michael Pineda at the back, another experienced veteran. Great balance. I really believe that in the uh, Tigers starting rotation. There's also some guidance I think some of you guys have been getting from, uh, the rocket Roger Clemens, son, Cody, he's a, one of the you know top 30 prospects in the tiger system. And Roger has been a guest speaker at tigers camp here. And I saw a quote where you said, you've kind of discussed a lot of things with Roger Clemens, things like game planning and things to do in the bullpen, keeping a good mindset. What specifically from Roger Clemens an all time great has stuck with you. Practice perfect. I think I think that was one of the biggest, probably the biggest thing. I mean, practice perfect. He said it doesn't matter what setting, you know, if it's spring training day one, uh, if, it, if it's your bullpen leading up to game seven of the World Series, just practice perfect. Um, and he was talking about, you know, when we throw bullpens, uh, David can probably definitely relate to this. Like, I'm going to throw a slider. You know, I've, I've already got that slider pre-gripped. You know, I'm, I'm gripping it as I you know, take my drop step and I'm throwing it. Roger's like, none of that. You need to you know, grip like you normally do in a game, step on the rubber, 
you know, pick that glove up, make your grip, you know, in your glove, you know, so you know you're not tipping. You need to focus on every little thing and you need to practice perfect, you know, just like you have to execute this pitch over any other. Um, and then, you know, he, he was talking about our misses to the catcher. He was like, man, if you're missing, you know, by, you know, by a, a foot, you know, or, you know, whatever it is, like, this is nowhere close. You know, your misses need to be tiny. You need to be missing by a ball or two. And so it's just the attention to detail. He was talking about quality over quantity. He's like, um, bullpen work. You, you don't need to go throw 50 pitches, you know, at a bullpen. You know, if you get 25 perfect reps in, call it a day. And so I think just the attention to detail, you know, out of the, you know, a legend and Roger Clemens is definitely going to stick with me and, you know, going to keep me focused, you know, when it comes to catch play or, you know, it's a hot day early morning uh, bullpen before one o'clock game or whatever it is, you know, I think you need to continue to practice perfect. I used to watch, you know, I used to watch Rocket. His pregame routine was legendary. He was a maniac. <laughs> he was frothing at the mouth, uh, you know, on days that he pitched. And if he didn't feel right, he'd go out and get a mile around the stadium. He'd like, I'll be back. He'd go outside around the stadium, start jogging on the streets around the stadium on his game day. In the uh, Bronx? In the Bronx, wherever <laughs> he was, in Boston, wherever he was, whatever town he was, he'd go out and get a mile. I have my legs, my legs. And he'd come back in. Strip his clothes off, run into the trainer's room. Hey, I got a calf. Rub my calf. I got a calf. Got to get my calf back out, put his full uni back on, go out. And there he was. He's ready, ready to start a ball game. It's just, he, there was nobody like him really just, just a maniac in his preparation. So I, I can relate to what Casey's saying there in terms of attention to detail and narrowing your focus. Definitely two very, two very good lessons Two very, it's very good advice to give any young pitcher. Hey, Casey, the way we wrap up our interviews here on Tone the Slab, we give our guests a chance to ask something to an upcoming guest of the podcast. So we're going to tell you the name of a guest that's going to be appearing here on a future episode, and you'll come up with a question to ask them, and then we'll relay it to them when they appear on the podcast. But we have a question for you first, and it comes from a three-time World Series champion. It is uh, the recently retired John Lester, one of the Best left-handed starters over the last 15, 20 years here. So here is what John Lester had to ask you. My first thing that comes to my mind is what is it like to be so young and good in the big leagues right now? I think that's with everything, how different it is from when I came up, you know, uh, that, that's, that'd be interesting for me. John Lester thinks I'm good. Um, that, that's a good thing. Um, I, I didn't know if he knew my name or not. So um <laughs> Okay. Um, it's fun to be able to provide value. I mean, I think, um, you know, to, to be a, you know, a pitcher that is good. Um, it, it's fun to be able to provide value. I'm glad I'm able to do that, but, um, I prefer to be great. And so um, that, that's, that's my next goal. So, um, it's enjoyable, but it's not as enjoyable as, as great as it's gotta be. I love that. I love that answer. It's a fantastic answer. Don't be so bashful either. Of course, John Lester is going to know who you are, man. I really did not think John Lester would be. Really <laughs> All right. So we are going to have a name for you here of an upcoming guest that you can ask a question to. And it is the, uh, the winning pitcher of the Atlanta Braves title clinching game in the World Series. What do you want to ask Brave starter Max Freed? Max Freed. Man, what a curveball. Um, Max Free. Oh, is Max a part of the Burgundy Boys? Their, their wine groups that they have? Have you guys heard about that? 
Yes. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I wonder, side note, I wonder if he's a part of that because I like wine. So I, I would like to talk nice. about that. He is, but, um, oof. Now, well, I guess, I mean, starting that game, uh, my question would, would probably be um, obviously, I'm curious about the nerves and, and the feelings of, of that game, but how did you? compress that um you know how, how did you kind of lock that stuff up or did you or did you not or, or did you or did you need that or did you need those feelings to go out there and compete you know harder or did you kind of compress to you know try to get to, to your same level as you normally do for any other game or um did, did you treat it differently or um just really the emotional side uh, of leading up to that game I, i'd be curious to know about it's gonna be a good one it'll be a, a question that a lot of us want to know about the, yeah. that we haven't really had a chance to uh, ask him over this off season and this lockout. Right, David. That's a different level. That's a great question because it is a different level of intensity when you're starting that kind of a game in a world series and Casey, I, you know, I hope to see you get that experience, but you're right. It is, it is something different, you know, when, when the whole world's watching you and it's a world series game and you know, you know, that you could forever be remembered for this start or this game, you know, you have a chance to, to, to make your mark. So yeah, yeah that, that is, that's a, uh, you know who said that? Don Mattingly. Don, the ba- Donnie Baseball got one shot at the postseason. Maybe one of the greatest players of the 19th, of, of his generation. Maybe one of the greatest first basemen that never made it to the playoffs except for one time. And he rose to the occasion, and we lost in the first round. But he he noticed the difference right then, and and he was so thankful to have that experience, just to feel the difference of the postseason, and you know how the intensity level goes up, and how every pitch is magnified. So yeah, that's it's true. It is it is. It is something to to, uh, to learn from that experience, and you got to go through it to, to understand it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, well how, how did you handle it? Did you did you feed off that, or did you, did you try to compress it to get to your same you know type of cycle yeah. going? It, it was it's it's difficult. I mean, the more rep, the more opportunities you get. Obviously, you know, it it becomes a, a you know what to expect a little bit. You have a little bit of a roadmap, but it's the same thing you slow things down and you narrow your focus and whatever you have to do to, to, to be able to do that, I guess it sounds like a cliche, but everything you said before Casey about, you know, uh, paying attention to detail, slowing things down, every pitch is magnified. You know, uh, your misses have to be small. No, no big misses. Every pitch has to be competitive, you know, try to limit your uncompetitive pitches that hitters don't even offer at because they, they, they give you nothing in return. So you, you at least want you want you want to make hitters think, right? You want you want every pitch to have a purpose and have and, and be competitive. So, you know that's really the key for me is is the ability to narrow your focus with that kind of attention and that kind of pressure. Yeah, got it. Cool. Hopefully, I, I get to experience that, and then we can talk about how I handle it. Yeah, we'll have you back on, definitely for sure. Hey, Casey, you mentioned the Burgundy Boys really quick. What's your uh, what's your favorite wine right now? Ooh. Um... Chateau Neuf du Pop, uh, Chateau Beau Castle. It's a um, it's a Grenache out of Southern Rhone region. Um, it's French, so um, I'm, I'm on that. So uh, I love it right now. Oh, right to the French wines. He's serious. This there guy's not go. messing around. Yeah, yeah. Start started with you know Napa Cabs and then got over to some Super Tuscans and now down in France. So there you uh, go. Thanks, man. Yeah. Nice. The wine knowledge on the. Uh... On the up and up, and so is the pitching, Casey. Thanks so much, man, for joining us here, and uh, best of luck to start 2022. And, yeah, we'll come back. Let's keep talking pitching, man. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you guys for having me. Do it up. Have a good one. Guys, I thought that advice that he received from Roger Clemens was really insightful and something pretty cold about what happened there. 
where Roger recently spoke in Tigers camp. They got a guy on their team. You may have heard him. Journeyman, right? His name is Miguel Cabrera. Um, they showed the footage of Miguel Cabrera going yard off Roger Clemens in the 03 World Series. I mean, this guy's coming in as a guest speaker. It's the Rocket. And they're doing him dirty like that. Yeah, it was oh. after Rocket buzzed him, too. If you remember, yeah. if you've seen that at bat, Rocket, <laughs> he gave him the old uh, bow tie, the Nolan Ryan bow tie in the middle of that, uh, in the early part of that, that at bat. So that that made Miguel Cabrera taking him deep the other way all the more impressive. Yeah, wild. Um, wild sequence there. I think they also showed a clip of Alan Trammell taking Clemens yard, too. So, I mean, he had to wear it as a guest speaker in Tigers camp. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but no, it's true. Perfect practice, right? I think it goes back to what we were hearing from Adam Wainwright way back at the beginning of the offseason when he came on our podcast talking about the granular details. Hey, play catch the right way. Play catch with a purpose. I think there was a similar meaning, a similar connection in the wisdom that Clemens was given to uh, Casey Mize there. Yes. I mean, Roger was obviously very intense, took his craft very seriously. Um, so yeah, the ability to narrow your focus and pay attention to details. It sounds like old cliches at times, but no, it really is solid advice. Learning how to do that is the key. How do you do that? And, you know, the quality over quantity part, very important as well. If, if you pay attention to details and you go in with a purpose and you, 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 through, through training or through sports psychiatry or psychology, you learn how to narrow your focus and therefore you can have quality over quantity. Otherwise you're drifting. Otherwise you're not prepared. You step up on the mound and in between starts and I'm just doing a bullpen side session. Oh, let me just get my arm loose. Let's just see how this goes. And you're not really, you know, that focused when you start, then yeah, you're wasting your time, you know, or you, or you could, you're not getting as much out of it as you could. So those little things do matter. Yeah, kids, some of the wisdom isn't all that complicated or detailed these days from the great ones. It could be a very simple phrase, and you should uh, take it at its uh, full weight there. All right, guys, uh, James, this week in pitching history, what do we have? All right, April 1st, 1985, 37 years ago Friday, The Curious Case of Sid Finch is published in Sports Illustrated. George Plimpton, the famous writer, wrote about a 28-year-old Sid Finch who dropped out of Harvard, moved to Tibet, was training to be a Buddhist monk, and he could throw 168 miles an hour and was secretly at spring training with the Mets, and he was deciding if he even wanted to play baseball. Of course, it turns out to be an elaborate April Fool's joke, but the great thing was that Mets GM Frank Cashin and pitching coach Mel Stoudemire were in on it, and ownership gave, it, gave the okay, so it was all they were all in on it, and they were selling it well. So, Coney, you, you remember Mel. He is going along with the secret training that they have. Oh, he's out on a backfield, the writers rushing around Stottlemyre. Oh yeah. Where's, where's Finch? Where's this kid that we keep hearing about? Ah, you know, he threw at five o'clock this morning. You just missed him. And he would go up to guys in the clubhouse and say, Oh man, you should have seen Finch throw today. So he was selling them on it and people fell for it. It was a different time. I don't think it would be able, you wouldn't be able to get it nowadays, but when the story came out, you had general managers calling the commissioner's office. How could this be? And people fell hook, line, and sinker for it. But one little hint in the subhead underneath the headline, 
the description for the article is, he's a pitcher, part yogi and part recluse, impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle, Sid's deciding about yoga and his future in baseball. The first letter of each of those words spells out happy April Fool's Day. Ah, it's great. It's like Mel Stoudemire uh, was a great poker player too, great card player. So yes, see, I could totally see him pulling that off without a doubt. You're right. That wouldn't be able to get past anyone in, in 2022. That's like the baseball version of War of the Worlds with Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's awesome. All right, guys, three up, three down as we close out this week's episode. James, why don't you lead us off here? What do you have? All right. Uh, gotta love Albert Pujols back with the Cardinals after all these years. It's great to see it full circle for a guy who's had one of the most incredible careers in baseball history, back with the cards. And another lesser heralded uh, return, Oliver Perez, out of retirement. He's in. He's signed a minor league deal with the Diamondbacks. So you have Pujols and Oliver Perez back in the bigs, hopefully. And they are the only two players who were active when David was still active. So there's, there's the, 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 the two links to Cody's career in 2022 baseball. Pujols, I think, can be a good uh, platoon DH with, uh, with the cards, and I hope Ali uh, catches on with the D-backs. Thank God for the National League DH, David, huh? Absolutely. You know, another point, you know, I, we've touched on it. I think, you know, and we've talked about it. I'm obviously a, a fan of the universal DH, you know, and I played in both leagues. I batted, I led the pitchers in hitting one year. I won the batting title with the 234 one year. A lot of singles didn't have a lot of pop. My OPS was a little short, but I, I certainly back when batting average meant more, I, I led the league in hitting, but I'll say this. Finally, the link is over between pitcher and hitter pitchers will no longer hit and rightly so that's what allows Albert Pujols to have a shot to go back to St. Louis because they now can DH. And secondly, there's been a lot of clamor as I'm just thinking about this over the rule change with regard to the DH and Shohei Otani, who says that Shohei Otani can start a game as a pitcher and be hitting in the lineup. And if he comes out as a pitcher, they change the rule that the DH, he can still hit. A lot of people were up in arms about this. American League West, some of the general managers, there's a lot of clamor. Is this fair? Is this just done for one player? Well, I agree with the rule, and I'll say that. The link between the pitcher and the hitter is over. You know, there's two separate positions, the DH and the hitter and the pitcher. And just because the pitcher comes out of the game, that link is over. It's two separate things in my mind. So I agree with the rule, even though it's only going to impact one guy, Shohei Otani. And I'm open for debate on this. I know a lot of purists, uh, you know, are saying it's unfair. You know, wait a minute. If Shohei Otani comes out of the game, they should lose the DH. Well, I disagree. I think it's a good rule. I think it's a, it's, it's a good rule because there shouldn't be a link. It's two separate positions, the hitter and the pitcher. And they are now forever severed as they should be because I think it's good for the game uh, to not have pitchers hit, to have somebody like Albert Pujols go home to St. Louis and finish his career and maybe hit his 700th, 700th home run as a member of the Cardinals where it started, I think is a good thing for the game. Is the people always often throw around the Billy Bean phrase or the, the Brad Pitt phrase from Moneyball? How can you not be romantic about baseball? This falls in the category right here. This is, this is why we say things like that for sure. The more show, uh, Hey, the better. Yeah. That the DH with Albert, everything. Um, all right. Three up, three down, David, what do you have? 
Well, you know, I, I it, you know, we talked a lot about the rules changes, you know, we already t- touched on it, uh, you know, bases, it, it's going to be interesting to, to see it come. Uh, I think, you know, everybody's talking about pitchers, you know, and a lot of, a lot of these, these things, you know, this is a great part of our show, Shaq, you know, and that I, that things off the top of my head. So I changed lanes at the last minute. So, you know, uh, you know, for me, um, when you're talking about some of these rules changes that are coming down the pike, one of the things, and James Smythe and I have talked about this, if you're looking to ban the shift, pitchers are dominating too much, too much velocity, move the mounds back. Um, you know, what do we do about getting more action, more balls in play? Well, you know, the thing that's going to help hitters more than anything, I don't think a lot of people realize this, is that the robo-umps that are coming down the road will do more to help the batters than anything out there. Banning the shift, moving the mound back to 61 feet or whatnot, things that have been talked about and experimented with in the Atlantic League, in the Atlantic League and the minor leagues. The one thing that will help the hitters more than anything is robo-umps because there's a lot more pitches <laughs> that are outside the strike zone that are called strikes than vice versa. Pitches that are inside that box and that strike zone that are called balls are far fewer than the other way around. So I actually uh, got the numbers right here uh, while we're at it. So if we're looking at 2021 MLB season, we're comparing pitches that are outside the zone that are called strikes versus pitches inside the zone that are called balls. So, you know, incorrect calls, if you, if you want to call it that. The over 17,000 pitches outside the zone called strikes compared to a little over 11,000. So that's about 50% more outside zone strikes than there are inside zone balls. So like you said, Coney, that's really going to benefit the hitter more than the pitcher. It's going to make pitchers throw the ball of the plate more because you can't get that margin. Maybe the high strike more high curve balls. You know, I mean, it's still the box and it's going to be an adjustment period where you see curve balls where catchers are catching almost in the dirt that will light up the, 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 uh, the Doppler radar tracking system and then high curveballs too that touch just the top of the box, but the margin on the sides will be narrow as ever. You are going to have to hit that line to get to be called a strike. So that'll, that'll push pitchers more on the plate, more up and down and we'll see how it goes, but just sheer numbers and volume of numbers is what, what James mentioned before uh, to me says advantage hitters. So if you want more action, you know, it's coming, whether you believe in robo lumps or not, you know, what side of the fence you are on that debate, it's coming. And uh, um, when it does, hitters are going to have an advantage. Here's another one, guys, another change for you. The reports came out over the weekend. I think John Chambi said it first, or, or you know, Cyrus, who we love at the athletic also mentioned it, that humidors are going to be in all 30 parks starting this season. So only 10 teams previously had humidors in their ballparks and I think, you know, right on the surface, you know, that this kind of, if, if everyone's having it, it kind of normalizes the baseball, no matter what environment you're in. But I, I will admit, I don't know the full effect of a humidor, but I, I get, you know, the general idea. I think part of it is normalizing the baseball, no matter the, the weather pattern of whatever, ballpark you're in though but david why do you think the league thought that this was necessary well 
you know, we, we know what humidors do for cigars, right? You're yeah. going to retain the moisture, keeps the ball from drying out, uh, the leather, you know, and certainly you, you can control that part of it. And the texture of the baseball is a little better, um, depending on whether you're in Colorado where it originated or whether you're at sea level somewhere. I mean, Baltimore is different than Colorado, obviously. To me, it's which baseballs are in the humidors are still the question. Yeah. You know, they used to two different kinds of baseballs last <laughs> year. So yeah, let's get let's get a singular baseball to put in those humidors. And now now we'll have some uniformity. So we haven't even gotten into the potential of using a Japanese style baseball with pre-treated leather that has a certain tackiness to it that will, you know, make it even more uniform that way. And I think you always have pitchers that are gonna want to use sticky stuff and you know, we know about the spider tack era last year, and we saw the spin rates go back up at the end of the year, and they're going to be doing different things to uh, monitor whether pitchers are using sticky stuff or not. But, yeah, we're heading that way towards a more uniform baseball. Uh, which baseball? Yeah, <laughs> Okay, let's see. Stay but we're, we're keeping track. And, and the funny, the ironic part about all this is, is that the technology that Ma- Major League Baseball has put forward through StatCast and through some of the – the new technology that all the organizations are employing are being used against themselves. You know, you, you can't hide. Major League Baseball can't hide because we're going to, we have the, the technology to, to measure these things nowadays. So the fact that they did use two baseballs you know, w- was found out. So uh, no matter what you're doing, if you're a pitcher using sticky stuff and your spin rates are jumping, we're going to know. <laughs> I mean, they're monitoring it. We have real-time information because of the technology, both on what the pitchers are doing and what Major League Baseball is doing with the baseballs themselves. Between all that, the substance crackdowns, there's going to be so many different pitching subplots in 2022. It's just going to make it all the more exciting to follow throughout the uh, the entire season here. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode this week. want to give a big thank you to Casey Mize for coming on the show. Best of luck to the Tigers pitcher here in 2022. Big thanks, as always, to our great producer, Dan Work. A reminder, new episodes drop each and every Tuesday. You can rate, review, subscribe. It's the best way that you can show your support to the show. And don't forget here, the John Boy Media Blitzball Battle for 10K Finals. They're this Thursday night, March 31st, 7 Eastern. It is McFlurry Power versus Forgotten Rotten. Guys, on the team names alone, really quick, who are you going with? I'm loving Forgotten Rotten. That, that, that's a great name right there. Yeah, I guess I got to second that one. <laughs> all right just based Mc- on the name just based on the name alone mcflurry power probably has the best unis of the tournament sprinkles and everything uh but it's it's forgotten right. rotten mcflurry power you're gonna are you gonna change i might have to the- change now if okay. i know they got sprinkle uniforms so. <laughs> right. thursday night be sure to check it out on the jam warehouse youtube channel the blitzball finals tone the slap pitching with david cone is a production of john boy media we will talk to you next week everybody take care